Welcome to Innovate Online 2020 with Leap. I am Christina Grasco, and today's session is about stamp duty and the epithet conveyances when it rains gold put out a bucket. There are a lot of assumptions inherent in this idea, and I'm joined by four experienced panellists with a wide perspective on it. Craig Taylor is the Director of Relationship Development at Leap UK and has a wealth of experience across legal software and services with a focus on supporting and educating Leap clients on best practice. And crucially for today's conversation, it's Convincing Best Practice Accreditation Scheme. Scott Bazinas is the CEO of InfoTrack UK. Having led the software development team in InfoTrack Australia since 2010, Scott was instrumental in propelling the company to market leader in Australia. Scott then moved to England to open the first international InfoTrack office in London, where he's focused on developing smart and enjoyable technology for the legal market. Under Scott's leadership, the range of InfoTrack products have quickly expanded to include unique conveyancing tools and commercial services. Rob Hailstone is an ex-residential property conveyancer with over 40 years experience who formed the Bold Legal Group in 2010. The BLG now has approximately 700 member firms of all different shapes and sizes throughout England and Wales and is widely respected by all stakeholders, including legal regulators, lenders, HMLR and the MHCLG. On behalf of BLG members, Rob worked with the Law Society and others to get government to open and kickstart the property market as soon as it was safe to do so. Ricardo Dawson is the founder and CEO of the award-winning PropTech Yorkies. The idea was conceived whilst he was working in the property sector and saw how painful the buying and selling process was for all parties involved because the process is convoluted, confusing and lacks transparency. Your Keys is the first platform to completely digitize the property reservation process and gives all users real-time sales progression updates through a series of integrations into hundreds of conveyances, mortgage brokers and lenders. Your Keys now process around 10% of all new homes in the UK. We will be discussing a number of issues around the recent stamp duty changes and whether this will kickstart a genuine gold rush for conveyances in these COVID times. Now, as we know, the COVID-19 lockdown was very damaging to house selling and conveyancing. Conveyancing lawyers were brought to a standstill at a time when profit margins were already tight. So the government's announcement of reduced rates of stamp duty land tax for residential properties was seen as a possibly hopeful sign that the market would be kicked back into vibrant action. So today we're going to discuss if that is the case, if this move will have the intended consequences, and exactly how law firms can make the best of these times. Craig, can I come to you first and ask the question I will ask of all of you? What factors are impacting the conveyancing market at the moment? I mean, I don't think I need to tell the audience or the, the other panellists that we're in a very uncertain time at the moment. We've got Christmas fast approaching, we've got the, uh, the, the B word, which I don't need to um, expand upon, I don't think. We have obviously the various impacts of COVID and the, the SCLT break, which has been announced and obviously runs until the end of March, which is really seeing a, a spike in activity and transactions. I'm a big believer in that, you know, from adversity often comes opportunity. Um, and I think our technology and our software really is designed to ensure that our firms are best placed to deal with whatever life and the market throws at them. But I think that the real bottom line here is that the government's given us a real opportunity here, the, the stamp, stamp duty holiday. We've got you know, several months left of that to run. Um, and really the message is to make the most of the opportunity, rest assured that the leap 
has reacted and responded well to the current scenario, and we will continue to do so, whatever the market does. And I think we really want to just make sure we enable our firms to be able to do more with less. What we're seeing is a, it's quite a weird juxtaposition. There was articles out this morning, seven billion in transactions in July, which is the highest month for transactions that has been in the last 10 years. But then obviously there's that against a backdrop of furlough of staff with conveyances working from home. There's this sort of ongoing, I mean, generally in, in what we do, we are obviously a, a transactional platform that is trying to push the digital agenda through conveyancing and the property process. So there seems to be a little bit of of a, a breakdown sometimes in the clarity on the digital process within conveyancing. So things like the regulatory acceptances around ID checks and e-signatures and things that could fundamentally help in a world that we now live in. But there seems to be quite a lot of fragmentation in terms of what's accepted from the regulation and actually individual law firms. And obviously, like I say, that backed up against just the volume of cases and the number of transactions seems to be creating quite a strange market, which seems to be opening up and becoming more susceptible to technological solutions that can potentially help alleviate some of the pain points that have existed historically. So it's uh, it's a really interesting time. And yeah, it's great to be in the mix and being part of, of actually how it's sort of playing out, but how that's going to happen, you know, with stamp duty ending, is there going to be a mad rush for transactions before that point and then a fall off the cliff we don't know but it's uh, it's exciting nonetheless scott from InfoTrack's point of view it's an interesting time isn't it we're willing to what rick said we've never seen a busier market so we've got on one hand a market that's running red hot and being serviced by a conveyancing industry that is still having furloughed staff and reduced staff levels. So inevitably, we're going to see some some sort of tension there where more with less, you know, which obviously lends itself to the need for technology. Looking at conveyancing, people are seeing their homes differently all of a sudden. The home isn't just the home, it's now the home office. And so inevitably, that's going to drive some change in where people want to live geographically and the size of house they might want to be in. So everything's sort of on its head at the moment, very, very different. And you know, even to our conveyancing clientele, their ability to meet their own clients isn't possible anymore. You cannot just meet your clients. So everything's different. It's very exciting, creates a lot of opportunity, I think, for all of us to look at the way we run our businesses and what, you know, how we can help each other. But yeah, very interesting market and we're going to have to do more with less. I think that's, I think that's what's coming out of this. 100%. Rob from BLG. Yeah, well, obviously, reiterate everything that everybody's said. Unprecedented times, I think, in my 40 plus years in the industry, never seen a market quite like this. Obviously, it went very quiet in lockdown. It picked up extremely quickly in July without the assistance of the SDLT relaxation. It's flying along at the moment. And basically, I think, you know, estate agents, conveyancers and others are struggling to cope, as has been said, mainly because or partly because of furloughing. You know, do people bring them off furlough? How long is the spike going to last? And there's lots of transactional issues as well. They're taking longer than usual because you've got the issue of do you put a COVID clause in the contract in case somebody falls ill between exchange and completion? Or do you have a very short period between exchange and completion or do you have a simultaneous exchange and completion? Preference at the moment seems to be that the, the lawyers, after discussing it with their clients, mainly are going with simultaneous. 
but that makes it very difficult booking removals and, and getting everything you know uh, work, working smoothly on the day of completion. Lots of issues out there on a practical basis. I mean, I'm getting fewer responses to my bulletins than I've ever got, not because they're any less good than they were. There's fewer people at the coalface, and those that are at the coalface don't really have the time to do anything but look at the transactions and deal with the transactions they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Are you getting any indication, Rob, from when staff are likely to be brought back from furlough? Are firms going to take it right to the limit on that? Depends on, on your, your personality, your, the, the strength of your business, your financial situation. I think some firms have brought back all of their staff. Some are looking to recruit, but a number are saying, if we recruit now and the market dips, are we going to have to lay them off again? It's a juggling act, and you have to look at it on a daily basis. I think Rick just quoted some of the right move stats this morning, and they just said the number, the highest number of sales agreed in a month for over a decade, as Rick said, thirty-seven billion pounds worth. So it's just flying along. I think the big question is, when is it going to stop? Will it stop as we go as we approach winter, like it normally does? Brexit might mess things up, or will it continue until the end of March and then fall off a cliff in April? Crystal ball gazing is the order of the day at the moment. Yeah, I think that leads into my next question to all of you really, is that the reduction of stamp duty for six months, does that actually have the intended consequences? Are we creating actually a vibrant market that then falls off the edge of a cliff so we defer that? Or are we creating a market where mortgage lenders are very reluctant because they're going to see a bubble of prices and so they're going to reduce the amount of loan to value because they don't want to catch a cold when furloughs stopped, redundancies are kicked in and all the other things. Rick, can I start with you on that one? It's such a weird time, and I don't know about you guys, but um, obviously there's this right move data about the 37 billion, I think was the figure, Rob, that you said. But then last week we were talking about demand has surged incredibly because of you know, people looking into property instead of going on holiday or you know, taking advantage of stamp duty or whatever. But actually, people putting their properties on the market was on hold and had dropped. So so demanded quite heavily outweighed supply. Buyers were coming into the market. This was a, a report by Nationwide, apparently, where offers were going incredibly low because they think, obviously, the COVID effect. Let me go in and see if I can, I can get a deal. But actually, vendors are holding out for their prices. So that last week seemed to sort of almost be counter to the fact that Rightmove are now reporting that the, it's the highest number of transactions in a decade. That There's a bit of ambiguity, I think, about which data you trust in some way because I know ultimately right move data comes from has a listing been changed from available to SSTC does that accurately reflect transaction volumes where if that is the case would the major lenders really have pulled away all of their 90% loan to value products as they had you know a month ago there was only the Bank of Ireland that offered a 10% mortgage rate or 90% loan to value everyone else was at 15 and 20% so just before I sort of got to your question, Christina, there was just a little bit of, a, of an overlap from the previous one and Rob's comments about, and, and maybe uh, Scott's got a better, a better view on this, but there does seem to be a little bit of fragmentation about the data and actually which sort of narrative is driving the, the bigger picture. Scott, I don't know if you have a, a response to that, what you're seeing from your end of things. We don't know, do we? But let's be grateful that we have this reduction in stamp duty. Let's not, we're very, we're very grateful the government, I think, has done this for our industry to help stimulate the economy in our industry. I think it was touched on before that, you know, this market bounced back very, very quickly in July. And this was before the stamp duty was announced. So we do know that it isn't 
the driver of the market. But I think in my feel is it'll probably keep the energy up at least through to Christmas into the, the new year. And I think in these tough times, we need everything we can get. So it's definitely not going to hurt. I think one of the unintended consequences of this sometimes is the house prices actually go up to cover the gap. And and I've personally seen this in the overseas markets I've come from is every time this happens that um, the, the house prices are artificially increased from that. But yeah. I think we should be incredibly grateful for this. We we definitely shouldn't question it. If this is just one of the things that keeps this industry going and keeps us all busy, then then aren't we very lucky to have it? Yeah, and them un- unintended consequences generally impact first-time buyers when those prices go up, right? Which is ultimately okay. trying to help, I suppose. That is the case, but that market money just gets put back into the property market anyway because the buyer leads to the seller. So it probably isn't a bad thing nevertheless. I'm, I'm not actually sure if with the benefit of hindsight, the government should have delayed the SDLT relaxation. Obviously, had to, they had to start planning for that before the spike in transactions in July. So, so they probably couldn't stop it happening. I think with, with the benefit of hindsight, it might have been better if they'd left it possibly until late autumn or even the new year. They can't just switch these things on and off. And I think you're right, you know, Scott, we've got to be grateful they, they brought it in. It just depends on what damage it causes post. March next year. Could it accelerate the decline in the market if it does drop off the cliff? Could it be a further erosion of confidence when that money comes away? Well, this this is what the lawyers are thinking, the conveyances are thinking at the moment. Yeah, and we've seen this before with double tax relief and all sorts of changes. It will go absolutely crazy busy in the beginning of the new year. March will be awful. Most conveyances will end up needing therapy afterwards. And it's just going to go very, very quiet in April. I think that's a given, to be honest. Again, it will be how quickly does it recover after that? The one thing I see about the property market, though, it is a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. If the market is running, it will keep running. It doesn't just always stop on a dime. You know, it is a knock-on sort of a a process, a chained process. So if the market is hot and running, maybe we'd like to see it run through next year as well. People won't just stop on a dime necessarily. No, hopefully be a, a pause rather than a stop to regather our thoughts and get all the registration. I'm talking from the conveyances point of view here, get the registrations done, do all the mopping up, but we don't want that to last lot, much longer than a month, ideally. I agree. Well, it's um, to, to that point, Scott, as well, we um, obviously we, we deal with predominantly in, in the new home space and we're already seeing the, the major house builders starting to plan now. And they're ultimately saying, look, when this ends, whether it's first time buyer, because obviously it's for, it's for buy to lets as well, we'll just cover the whatever the stamp duty loss is at the end of Q1 within our pricing. So they're already looking at ways to extend that out and whether it'll be a you know 15 grand off straight away, we'll pay your stamp duty and then it'll be 10 and five. That's better than it falling off a cliff. I think from the technology points of view as well, just some of the conversations I've been having with our clients is that I think the, the good thing to come out of all of this is I think it's really fast-tracked a lot of technology. So whether that's technology providers actually innovating and providing solutions perhaps sooner than they planned. You know, Leap, for example, you know, we, we launched integrations with Teams and FaceTime and things like that. Obviously, a lot of our firms are utilising that, that technology. We're also utilising Zoom. And I think you know, six months ago, if you were trying to get a, a law firm onto a Zoom meeting, it would have been quite a difficult conversation. So I think it's really fast-tracked that technology launch and also that adoption from the law firms, which I think is a really good thing. Firms that are agile and adaptive in the current market, look at the new ways of communicating, the new ways of working with your clients and making sure that you're servicing them in a positive fashion, using technology that's there. You know, that, that's a great position to be in at the end of all of this and it will stand you in good stead compared to your competitors that aren't seizing the opportunity at the moment. 
and aren't adopting these technologies. So, uh, you know, I think there is opportunity for the forward-thinking firms. There will be some firms potentially that, that don't do so well out of it. But again, I think firms that are agile, uh, tenacious and disruptive, I think the future is positive, whatever the outcome. There's a part of that in educating the market that you're selling into. I mean, you and I, Craig, we've had this conversation before about we're pushing certain digitally savvy best practice conveyances into our client base and their understanding of what a conveyancer does and what ultimately a conveyancer should be to be on their panel is changing considerably. The amount of recommendations into conveyancers for panels for new homes builders who didn't realize that a conveyancer doesn't need to be down the road from the site is crazy. That's just a really simple thing. Part of the conveyances adopting new technology is doubling down on them and educating their market that we are providing a service that can be done from anywhere. And if you sort of look further down the line, maybe that does lead to more consolidation within conveyances. But educating the market from a house builder perspective, who can typically be quite antiquated in in some of the ways that they think about things, we're starting to see a total change. And that's just because of technology being thrust upon them. 100%. I agree. Uh, as you said, Zoom calls, people are doing them every day, if not three or four times every day. Conveyances weren't doing those before. Uh, there's a whole number of people now working from home as well. And the question will be, will they stay working from home? Will they actually go back in the offices? I think the way things have changed will remain in some circumstances for the future now. We won't go back to the normal. That is everybody in the office, everybody in their own offices, etc. is going to change. And there is now the issue that, you know, people can't, well, not now, but recently, people can't, lawyers can work remotely. They don't have to be near the property. I know a lot of the, maybe the older school ones still like to do that. And even on a, on a development site, you know, Rick, some lawyers still like to walk around the site. But with the technology you've got now, that, that property is less needed than ever was. I think remote working is, is the way forward. And law firms that are not doing that really have to start looking like that or there will be a cull and it will be the survival of the fittest and the most modern. I think we just we need to remember that all, all of these elements of technology that we're talking about, whether it's Zoom, you know, Leap, you know, the, the Yorkies platform, InsideTrack, whatever it might be, these solutions are meant to be enabling and empowering. They're not there to water down the expertise of you know, a trained property lawyer. They do an amazing job. It's a very difficult job, as I'm sure Rob will attest to. Um, and it's really there to support them rather than, uh, as I say, try to you know, change things for the sake of it or to try and take away from the, the value that they add to the process. You know, they need to be able to use their expertise and then you know, also use these communication tools and technologies to make sure the communication is slicker and, uh, and faster. 100%. It begs the question about the concept of what best practice for conveyancing is now and also what the roadblocks are, because what we are seeing right across industry and services is that change that a lot of people thought was going to take about 10 years has suddenly been collapsed into three or four months. And whilst there is a natural reticence amongst some people in business to that, actually, it really can be seen as a good thing because a lot of the roadblocks to that change have now gone and it becomes a commercial imperative to behave very differently. So what does that look like? What is best practice? What are the roadblocks? Why do some firms find it difficult even now to make that jump? Craig, do you want to pick up on that as you're working with the accreditation scheme? The, the best practice that we launched in conveyancing, which the backbone to that is the two things, it's compliance and consistency. We launched this pre-COVID when the Fianna's were all working together in the office. So, you know, this term of events really has kind of reinforced the value behind this approach, utilising technology and through best practice, we identify and enable our firms to utilise the end-to-end ecosystem that Leap provides them. So, you know, that's from putting the data in on day one and helping those firms actually manage that data all the way through the process you know, without having to use third-party 
managing software or when they revert to paper files, obviously store everything in the cloud so that their colleagues and support staff have access to the same data using the integrations through the info track. We support that through knowledge and education. So we've partnered actually with Rob's legal group in terms of furnishing them with you know, the industry knowledge so our best practice firms whilst getting guidance and support on how to use the technology. We want to overlay that with knowledge and information through Rob's expertise. We've now got 145 of our 2,300 law firms taking part in the advancing best practice standard, going through quarterly audits as well, which I think when Fiona is working from home, working remotely, it's a really useful second pair of eyes, in particular where we're working with small, medium-sized law firms. That infrastructure and that support network isn't always necessarily there. So we've seen a really valuable feedback in terms of what they get from the, the audits, which are conducted remotely. And we're now starting to see third-party recognition to the best practice and members. So Rick's a keen advocate of, of what we've done there, it really promoting what our firms can do through the use of technology and also through their expertise to support other parties in the industry, such as the, uh, the developers and you know, home builders. And so we're, we're keen just to support our members to make sure they're you know, at the forefront of what's going on in the conveyancing world using all the latest tools and services that are available to them to hopefully allow them to receive work, whether it's directly through integration such as your keys or, or independently. Rick, you've recently instructed one of our best practice members yourself, and I know they're not just around the corner from you, so that, that's a testament to that, hopefully. Yeah, I've no idea where they are, to be honest, Craig. That's part of the benefit, you know. I think echoing everything that, that Craig's saying, I think that the best practice standard is great. And, and the way that it's been sort of brought in with a quite a high benchmark you know you can you can see that with a 130 clients out of two and a half thousand it takes quite a lot to get to that point and get that level of accreditation which i think is is right i think from our point of view ultimately we push conveyances to just really focus on what that customer journey is you know because it's it's so different and the requirements are so different from it was not just a, a few months ago but but a few years ago or oh, sorry vice versa but you know rob saying before about people going into site and going and um, having those face-to-face conversations with agents you know we don't want to commoditize property sales in a way that it takes away the hand holding and the personal touch but from a conveyance and perspective just focus on what does the buyer want to know what updates, what communication, what tools do I need to engage with and take on in order to make that journey as painless and stress-free as possible. And ultimately, if you choose the right tools, coming back to Scott's point, you should ultimately be able to do more with less, which is one of the big pain points at the moment. Scott, can I bring you in here? Because I mean, this goes to the heart of all the work that you've done over the years with InfoTrack, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think the best practice is now technology, 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 technology. I think interesting things, we're seeing the use of our software on weekends and after hours has spiked. The formal office day that starts at nine and finishes at five and is located in an office is dead. It's over, it's finished. And the quicker those realise that and adapt to that, they'll be the most successful practices. So what do you need for that? You need technology. Colleagues don't sit together anymore. They don't work together anymore. That just changed overnight. So we need technology that allows us to onboard our clients. We need technology that allows us to work and never meet our clients. We need technology that's truly paperless, not simply because we want to be paperless. We don't have a printer at home. We don't meet our clients. So, you know, I think from our perspective, you know, we developed a lot of this technology many years ago and, you know, not dissimilar to Zoom. Zoom, I don't know if people know this, Zoom's been around for almost a decade and yet overnight it's just this new technology I've never heard about. So 
I think the technology industry has been around for a long time and had a lot of this technology and overnight I think we've all just gone straight to it and and thank goodness I don't think we'd be in the position we're in being able to deal with these ginormous workloads without this technology. If this pandemic had happened 10 years ago, it'd be a very different story. We didn't have cameras on every device. We didn't have devices all through. But the truth is the technology is here and it's been here for a long time. And those that jump in and use it really will get the advantage and they'll get the rewards. The land registry, their announcement just two or three weeks ago that they'll accept digital signatures on, on the deed, that, that is an absolute game changer. That was the last, you know, you had to meet your client and collect a wet signature. What's the hidden cost of that? posting that document out or making an appointment to come into the office. That doesn't exist anymore. Straight in on the technology, collect the e-signature. So we can do more with less, but we need the technology. The technology's got to work at home now. The technology's got to work on the device. And the technology's got to work around the clock because people are doing work after they've put the kids to bed or after they've done the homeschooling. So I challenge anyone to tell me that technology isn't going to be the solution. And if your firm isn't adapting that technology, I think you need some digital transformation offices to help you get there because you're not going to survive as well as the firms that do. And being able to cope with change is one of life's ultimate skills in all-round business. We've, we've seen, uh, just on the back of that, Scott, that we've, we've seen a real spark in the use of our online payment facilities, for example. I mean, we've, we've seen, you know, fourfold increase in its, its use over you know, during the course of this year, which is just testament to the fact that people don't expect to have to go into an office now to use a an old payment terminal to make a payment. You know, they can do it online and they can do it when they want to do it. You know, they can do it from their phone, you know, at nine o'clock at night. People are less likely to want to actually have that face-to-face engagement anymore. So, you know, having those those online solutions available, I think, is imperative to, you know, communication, obviously compliance, consistency in the approach. As a kind of an aside to what we've just been speaking about with the, the adoption of technology and you know, running a, a best practice style business, I mean, we've had numerous conversations with insurers. So looking at PI, for example, and I think the firms that are actually adopting these practices as a, a nice side note, insurers are really recognising that now. You know, anything you can do to mitigate risk within your business automate your, your processes take away that chance of error or fraud potentially the insurers ears are really sort of freaking up now so you know we're really trying to help our firms present their attitude to risk and best practice to the insurers to you know, hopefully benefit you know with you know the best premiums that they can get based on running a best practice law firm I think just going back to what what are the roadblocks, I think from the conveyancer's point of view, from the firm's point of view, uh, looking at uh, things as they are now, it's, it's having time to look at new technology. It's having the and the due diligence to check out the new technology that is out there. They don't know the companies and businesses and maybe the money to, to implement it. I mean, I know that BLG members like testimonials from other BLG members, and I know the three companies on this call are all highly regarded throughout the, the bold legal group, but lawyers just can't pick up on a new piece of technology without checking it out. And the other thing they worry about, I think quite rightly, with technology, and you know, you mentioned the land registry and electronic signatures, is, is fraud, conveyancing fraud. That was a big issue not so long ago. It seems to have died down at the moment. But we know the fraudsters are out there and they're thinking of new ways to get into client account monies. So everything they have to do, everything that a lawyer does is is checked and double checked. And unfortunately, that does take time. So I think if you've got testimonials from firms, et cetera, et cetera, that's really working, then other firms will follow on. The whole fraud thing, though, was an issue before COVID. In a separate space, there's been a massive drive by the Law Society over the last couple of years, particularly since Dreamfar, to get firms to recognise the amount of risk 
that they are unwittingly sometimes sitting in the middle of. I mean, so that's a pre-COVID issue. And in many ways, actually, that has come to the fore, as you rightly say, even more now. So isn't that a good starting point? Isn't that one of the levers which actually should really push firms to, to try and overcome some of those roadblocks? I think if the technology is safe, it probably is better to do an, an online ID check, an AML check, rather than have somebody wander into an office with a passport that could be a fraudulent passport and the, the receptionist wouldn't know that if it was. Technology definitely has, has its role to play. But like I said, it's just getting out there in front of the firms. I think the other problem you've got is, you know, we've got 700 members. We've got a couple of thousand firms, et cetera, et cetera, as have InfoTrack. There's 4,000 conveyancing firms out there. And there are two or 3,000 firms, I think, who never hear what we're saying or others are saying. They don't open their law society gazettes. They don't get the old legal group bulletins. They're in their own little bubbles, unfortunately. And until we can get to them, the chain's always going to be as fast as the slowest participant. So we need to get out there and we need to spread the message, I think, wider and further. That's correct. But of course, we're in the situation at the moment where the only way we can get out to them is using the digital means, because of course, the physical means that we've been using with the shows over the last few years clearly have yet to make a dent. And now they're not there. That platform doesn't exist. So in many ways, it's also then how do you get to speak to those people? Isn't there a danger that if they don't find a way of listening soon, as Scott says, it's going to start becoming a crisis of survival for them? Yeah, absolutely agree. And you'd like to think it would be word of mouth from the firms who are technology savvy, telling the firms that aren't or mentioning it to them or advising them or suggesting. But it doesn't seem to work like that in the conveyancing world. Conveyancing firms don't seem to talk to other conveyancing firms. You know, I've been trying to get them to to spread the BLG word. And that's very difficult by um, email or word of mouth on the telephone, Zoom call. I don't know why the jungle drums don't really beat throughout the conveyancing profession, but they they don't seem to. If we could uh, solve that one, then I think we could get much better reach quicker. Rob? It will self-solve because those firms that aren't ear to the ground, keeping up with what the latest is, they won't get through this. They won't survive. The old-fashioned means will become very old-fashioned very quickly now. If they're sticking to traditional methods, their clients who are demanding all of this technology just won't keep going back to them and, and price will not be the driver any longer. I think you're right. And and not all of my members will want to hear this, but yes, you are right. And it depends on, as as somebody mentioned earlier, what type of buyer you've got. Well, there's a lot of mature, older buyers out there, but there's also a lot of younger buyers coming into the marketplace who don't want to see their lawyer, don't even want to talk to their lawyer if they can help it. They all want it to be done, you know, electronically. I don't think my kids would talk to me if they didn't have to ask me for some money now and again or something. They send a message. That's just the way of the modern world. And these firms have to switch on to that. Otherwise, you're right, we're going to lose a lot. I think one thing that has happened or might happen over the next few months is that legal fees, convincing fees might go up a little bit because of the supply and demand issue. It's not a conveyances out there. And I know firms are actually turning away work at the moment, which is unheard of in the last five or 10 years. So rather than turn away work, well, if you're turning away work, put your prices up at the same time. I was talking to my conveyancer, Amy, who's brilliant, by the way, and she has got a real focus on their sort of digital identity online as well. So their reviews and, you know, making sure that they're open and communicative and asking for feedback because they know ultimately, to Rob's point, the younger generation that are forming a huge part of the transaction base at the moment are looking at comparisons and and ratings and things like that. And then those ratings are enabling them to retain their margins on on the work that they're doing. 
and ultimately then not get diluted down to you know, sort of factory conveyancing. And the, the upside, they're being able to invest in technology to make that user journey better and feed the, feed the machine. To me, that's a really good way of thinking about it. Invest in yourself. I think Rob made a point earlier too about lawyers being very busy to have time to adapt technology and the cost of the technology. And technology's never been cheaper. So much of it now is pay-as-you-go. don't need big consultancy pieces to turn the technology on. You don't have to go and invest in a server farm and locate it somewhere in your office. Good technology is, is more readily available than ever. It is, as we say, pay as you go. So you'll only pay for what you need in a lot of the modern platforms. And yes, you do have to make time for this and and it does take time. But if you don't make time for this, you're not making time for the future of your business. You know, if you're too busy to to invest in technology, then you're too busy to be in business. And, and I know that's a tough message, but, you know, I think you've got to give technology providers like myself and Rick's business and Leap, you know, the time of day to just hear it out because... The companies that do that and BLJ is a wonderful business. They always have time to stop and look what's out there. And they're a progressive law firm because of it. Just to come back to that, so it's not a promotional video for Bell Lamb and Johnson. But yeah, I mean, that they are the first firm on the phone every time we launch something new or every time, every time we want to beta test a new technology or a new solution. They are the first you know, adopters and they, they just drive their business through that. Mike actually showed me a really interesting heat map, um, which showed uh, three years ago or four years ago before they joined Leap. You, know, you could see being a northwest-based firm that you know, all of their conveyancing instructions were in and around the area that they reside in. Moving forwards two years, there was spots you know, in the, the southwest and the southeast in London, all using like, like Rick is, you know, a firm that's that's not from that area, and that is driven through technology. There's no way just being a traditional law firm you'd be able to you know engage properly with the end client. So Mike's seen his business dramatically increase in terms of volumes over that period of time, whilst not actually having to invest in more and more staff. You know, his teams have grown, but not in line with the number of instructions they're taking. You know, they're using the technology to run more efficiently, communicate more effectively. And, you know, that's the outcome that we're all talking about. That's that so on the same, on the same uh, webinar. So uh, just shows you what you can do. And I think there's something as well, and I'm seeing this across a number of businesses that I've been working in. If somebody does what actually Scott recommended earlier, which is put somebody in the business in charge of looking forward and thinking about how this business is going to get through and survive and thrive rather than just responding as fast as possible to the now. I think that's a key thing. Mike has always done that at Bell and Joinson. There are other firms I know where somebody has quite explicitly sat down and said, the future needs to look like this. How are we going to get there? In part, that's also the other answer to, to the point that Rob was making. How do we get the message through? Well, one of the things is that those firms need to try and find a little bit of time to stop reacting and get proactive. Surely some of the impetus needs to come from them. Absolutely. I think the sales manager is a modern position in a current law firm. You know, the head of sales exists as much in my firm as it does in a high street conveyancing firm these days. You have to have this investment in your own firm. You have to have these digital transformation and sales teams. They are as relevant to a law firm as a lawyer is. I think if there is a pre-Christmas dip in transactions, the advances knowing that it's going to pick up again in the new year, hopefully they will take the time during that dip to look at new technology and talk about employing somebody to look at that technology for them. But in a month or two, it might go quiet. But don't just do the mopping up work, but think about their next busy period, which could be January on to, to the end of March. 
So something I think we all have to be aware of too, there's, there's two ways of gaining market share and you can just sit back and rely on the market to do the work for you and you get busy because the market got busy. But you can actually gain market share by going out and winning business. And if tough times are coming and we think that for one second, are you going to sit back and just let that happen or are you going to go and grow your business by winning business? Which leads quite nicely into the final question I have for all of you actually today, which is each of you, what are your three priorities for law firms going forward? Can I start with Rick? Well, sort of mopping up on everyone's points, really, I think efficiency to do more with less, you know, investing in technology and the people that, that ultimately support it. Focusing on on that customer journey is a thing that I think all, all businesses should, should be doing. You know, what do your end consumers want and using that as your sieve to process your decision making. And, you know, maybe maybe the final point on getting your digital identity out there and, and getting your ratings and, and focusing on retaining your margins, I, I would say, is, is probably a good, a good place to start. Rob, what would you be your advice? I agree that you've got to think about where the work's going to come from in the future and keep your contacts happy. You know, go looking for new work as soon as you can. It's out there. If you're the better firm, you're going to get the new work and it may even be without a re- paying a referral fee. I think also look at using the legally dead time of marketing to put a seller's pack together. I know we don't really want to mention hips here, but seller's packs are being talked about once again. It seems to make sense to me for the seller to instruct their conveyancer when they market the property so they can get the basic documents in a pack, whether it's AML, ID, land registry docs, property information form. It will shave weeks off the transaction time when, when a buyer is found. Yes, it would be great if there's a system to enable you to do that, you don't need a system. You can just get those documents anyway and keep them in a folder ready for when the buyer is found. I would talk to your estate agents about seller's packs. And if it does go quiet again, cash flow will, will be difficult and quicker transaction times will mean quicker cash flow. So look at that. I think also look at the way you're treating your employees at the moment. It's a very difficult time. Look after your best employees. They're vitally important to you. The ones that really work hard and go the extra mile for you. It's going to get quiet again before it gets busy. Look after them and keep them. Let's go back to uh, Rick's, uh, sorry, back to Rob's first point and just uh, point back towards Rick. You know, Rob's obviously involved in a lot of the industry discussion at the moment about up, sort of the upfront information suggestions um, and how, how that could impact the resale market. And obviously in the new build world, which obviously is your kind of area of expertise, what could conveyances in the resale market learn from new build transactions where there is that packet of information all generated on day one for consideration by potential buyers? You know, if you've got the time to do it and, uh, you know, I'd implore absolutely everyone to do it. It's a no brainer. It works in in the new homes sector. You know, you've got 200 flats in a, or apartments in, in a block. You've got a, a default contract pack. You've got default searches, default title plans, and you're just making very brief amendments to contracts as and when reservations come in. So ultimately that upfront package of, of documentation is there. You know, we, we know what we need to collect in the resale market, whether you work to just a sort of basic hips pack model, if you like, or you start looking forward to sort of BASPI standards and things like that. We know what information we need to collect up front. And if you can do it, yes, the new homes market is evidence that it does shave an enormous amount of time off the transaction. New homes consistently come in about three weeks quicker than resale transactions do on average across of the 1.1 million transactions that, that happen in the UK every year. So and part of that is because of that upfront pack. So ultimately, there will be a winner there in creating that standard. And whether that's a something that's MHCLG led or it's a private company is still to be seen. But yes, as an agenda, I would push it. Absolutely. And auction packs have been working well for donkey's years. And that's the same sort of thing. Thank you. Scott. 
I think for me, it's technology adoption. I think there's a whole new generation of technology out there. So I think the two key pieces at the moment is the client onboarding. So you don't have the luxury of meeting with your client and getting their bank statements from them, looking at their passport. There is a whole new suite of products out there that allows you to onboard your clients digitally. And I think you've got to look at that. Secondly, I've touched on the e-signatures. You no longer have to wet sign the deed. That's a big step. So I think we've seen post-completion technology. We've seen other technologies come through in recent years. There's a new breed of technology out there. Go and look at that and then see how that can help your business. I think that's my first point, which leads really to increased efficiency. They should work hand in hand. You're going to have to do more with less. But if you get the technology, you'll make your staff happy. You know, Rob touched on this. You've got to look after your best people at the moment. And I can tell you those best people do want really nice technology. They want technology that allows them to work believe it or not, from six in the morning till midnight because they're the hours people want to choose to work. No, they want that flexibility and that will help look after your best people. And invest in your business's sales team. Got to go out there and more than ever, not not rely on those panels, you know, reduce the rebates you have to pay. Go out there and invest in your own sales team and win your own business direct and that'll increase your margins. I think that's really wise. And I think that's isn't that the key message that's coming out from all of this? And I suspect it's what you're doing in all your own businesses in your own ways, which is investing rather than standing back and going, okay, we've got this emergency, let's stand still and see what it throws at me. It's about, fine, this is where we are. Now move forward and invest and push and just know where the right areas are. Definitely. I think there was a lot of investment going on pre-lockdown. Unfortunately, that put pay to that for a while but hopefully it will pick up again once the market settles down a little bit. I think agility is key, isn't it? I mean, I think, you know, we, we, none of us would have expected to be here six months ago um, in the position that, you know, the, the market's in or the country's in, and none of us really know where we're going to be in six months' time from here. So I think being agile, uh, make sure you've got the tools, um, the systems, the processes, the teams in place to respond whatever the market looks like in a month's time. I think if you sit there and wait to see what the market looks like before you react, that's when, you know, it could be quite trouble. So I think, you know, use this period. Yes, it might be really busy, but, you know, you still try to use this opportunity to prepare for what's around the corner, whether it's positive, negative, you know, just make sure you're well-placed to do things differently and uh, react to whatever the market does for you. How do you actually feel about where we are at the moment from your personal business perspective? Rick, can I start with you? Are you upbeat, downbeat? Um, At the moment, we're upbeat. I think we're we're a typical venture-backed tech company. So every penny of profits goes into expansion and new hires and and looking at the future inherently. So for us, it's it's a case of you know title of the uh, the webinar you know put your pan out and, and make gold, but ultimately or something like that, right? <laughs> but ultimately, we're we're looking at what the sector looks like in three to six months, and there's you know total ambiguity out there. And I, I couldn't agree more with what Scott says. And to be honest, what sort of Rob was saying before about using the downtime that's potentially coming up to invest in the people to look at the future, I actually think it's now that you need to be doing that whilst the going is good you know whilst your revenues up and whilst your cash flow is up you now use that as don't take a dividend or don't pull out any of your profits put it into someone that's going to look at what the future holds for you now not in six months time when you're looking and you're potentially looking at redundancies or reduction here and cuts there because ultimately they're going to be more difficult decisions to make to get rid of people to then look at someone else i think while the going's good and we're doing that at the moment and we do that pretty consistently anyway, just as the inherent setup of our business. Maybe tech startup is a way of looking at the new world through that lens. Scott, would you agree? 
I think something we all have in common, and I, I remember very clearly the first time I met Rob five years ago and Rob's word to me that at the time is I want to give something back to this industry. I want to be in this industry to help it along. And Rick opened up with saying his experience wasn't good enough. So I started a company to make it better. All of the vendors on this call today are here to help this industry along. And for for a long time, we've been building the sort of software to help this industry along. All that COVID's going to do is really speed up the adoption of the tools and techniques and software that we've all sort of built to help this industry along. And it's not been a fun year at all. It's been a really tough year. But if we fast forward out of this a few years into the future, we are going to be better off because we've been forced to go to better solutions through this. And I think we'll look back and go, gee, it really provided an impetus to really adopt new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things. And in the future, we'll be very, very grateful that we can work from home and it won't be frowned upon. And I think we'll be using conveyancing technology that's just like, oh, thank goodness. But we would have never been pushed towards this if it wasn't for this period. So I'm optimistic. You've got to take the good out of the bad. COVID's just bad, but it's going to force change and it's going to force change for the better. Great. You're nodding. Do you feel the same? Yeah, so I was going to use a hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And, you know, I think whether around the corner is the best or the worst, we've seen an awful lot of traction with new firms coming to leap, you know, that perhaps didn't, well, obviously didn't expect this situation. And, you know, they've been using server-based solutions and then, you know, suddenly getting the calls, they're right at the down tools and work from home. They weren't in a position to do that. So, you know, we, we fortunately had a system there that was almost built for this scenario. And we've seen an awful lot of um, firms transitioning over to, to our software because of that, you know, and all the additional tools and services that we use for communication, client engagement, self-service technologies, et cetera, et cetera. So we as Leap really hope the future is positive, buoyant, prosperous for everybody that we work with. Rob? The Bold Leader Group, we're in a very interesting situation at the moment. When lockdown came in, you know, a number of firms quite rightly started to panic about cash flow. And I thought, well, what can I do to help my member firms? So I made an immediate decision to reduce any membership fee due up to the end of this year by 20%. And, and firms have been very grateful for that and jumped at the chance to renew. We've lost a handful of firms, but surprisingly, we've gained more new members than we've lost. So there is word of mouth out there. I think when we helped uh, the Law Society now that others draft the COVID clause, that helped raise our profile. The other good thing about this is, is from my personal point of view, our overheads are much lower. I'm not traveling up and down to London every week, staying in hotels, paying train fares. So on a business point of view, yeah, it looks pretty good, to be honest. We also created, or I also started an online forum just before lockdown by chance. So people, lawyers can log into the forum now. And that is absolutely flying since the market's opened up. There are more questions now going into the forum and being answered by other BLG members on a daily basis than there were ever going in the bulletins on a weekly basis. And I'm now finding it quite difficult to put forum questions into the bulletin so I can keep everybody up, up to date. So, and just a quick plug for the Bold Legal Group. If you're not a member, you can have a free month's trial. Any last words to top that? Just as a final point, I know Rob and Scott have uh, have touched on sort of look, looking after your staff. I think that's, that's incredibly important right now, especially with us being in lockdown and having a consideration for your staff's mental health and mental well-being as well. We've recently surveyed all of our staff, you know, 30 of them, to just ask them, you know, what does the future look like in terms of office, working from home? your mix, you know, do you want pet friendly? Do you want plants? You know, what what sort of things do you do you want as part of your future? 
future and ask them to be really open and honest. And ultimately, you know, there are people in there that this has really affected them, people that are in rental, that are in HMOs, and, you know, that they're, they're finding it tough. And, you know, I think that this situation, as well as it is had winners and losers, there's quite a few people that are sort of stuck in this weird purgatory. We should try and reach out as best we can to help them through and you know, adjust our company cultures to be amenable to, to the way that people are, are wanting to work into the future. I think it's, it's really important. That's, that's, that's spot on, Rick. But I think also, don't forget to look after yourself as well. I know senior people in the law firms who are working 24-7 now, and they have been at breaking point over the last few weeks and months. So try and take some time for yourself as well, because you're leading that ship. And without the captain, the ship's going to sink. Some really important thoughts and priorities to close with. So my thanks to all of you, to Craig, to Scott, to Rob and Ricardo for being with us today and also to everybody who is watching. If you want to follow up on any aspect of the discussion, contact us on info at leap.co.uk and make sure your questions are forwarded on. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation today. Stay well, stay positive and thank you for watching. Mm -hmm.